Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Political This That podcast. For the month of May, we looked at mental health disorders for Mental Health Awareness Month. And for the last episode of this series, we're looking at BPD, which is Borderline Personality Disorder and Eating Disorders. I just want to pop in before the episode started and say this is a trigger warning for anyone who's listening. This episode does make mention of suicide, depression, psychiatric wards, and eating disorders. So that is the trigger warning for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoy and let's go straight into the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Political This That podcast. This month, we are doing mental health awareness. And for this specific episode, we're talking about BPD, which is borderline personality disorder and eating disorders for this week. And I'm joined by my lovely guest, Olivia. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing this fine afternoon? I'm so good. I'm very excited to be speaking on a podcast for the first time in my entire life. I'm very excited that I could break your podcast virginity. Is that <laughs> what it is? Um, but yeah, so I'll let you do your bio and tell the people who you are. So tell them your name, pronouns, where you go to school with, some of your hobbies, that kind of thing. Tell the people who you are. Okay, beautiful. I'm Olivia. Um, I know Aname from high school. We went to high school together um, back in Brampton, but now I live in London. I go to Western. I'm studying French and creative writing. Um, And other than that, I'm just chilling. Honestly, I'm in school. I work part-time and I have been coping with my mental health as an adult and it's been kind of interesting. Don't forget that we did go to high school together and she was in the instrumental program at Rock. So she can play a few instruments here and there. Oh my God. I play so many instruments. It's ridiculous. And you could sing. You can sing. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) No, but like you have sang before and you had a YouTube channel. So that's another, she's musically talented. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh my gosh. I'm honored. And she was very involved like in music at our high school too. Well, our high school had an arts program, like I said. So, but like she was always there, especially with um drumline, drumline. Yes, that was her thing. I was, yeah, that's right. So now we're gonna go into question period. So the first question I have is what is your favorite place to grab food either in Brampton or in London now that you're at Western? Hmm. Okay, well, in London, it's this little local restaurant called Spaghetti Eddie's, and it's literally a dingy little basement, but they have huge portions and just the best Italian food and it's just nice to go there with some friends on like a girls night and just vibe so that's probably my favorite place here and um keeping with that theme when I go back home my favorite place to go out for dinner is the spaghetti factory in Toronto (laughs) I love spaghetti yeah I love spaghetti (laughs) Brampton like has places but like they're hidden gems like if you want to look for place to eat in Brampton you have to actually look because they're all hidden you have to really look I feel like that's one of the good things about growing up in Brampton is you kind of know but like if I wasn't from Brampton I'd be like yeah there's nothing there like you have to really for it exactly next question is what is your favorite song at the moment and that could be from like any genre of music that you listen to Ooh, at the moment I don't have a favorite song per se but I'm really into um Girl in Red dropped a new album um if that doesn't tell you how gay I am I don't know what's going to but I've really been listening to the Girl in Red album really been listening to um the re-release of Fearless by Taylor Swift um just things like that and since the weather's getting warmer I am back on my country grind a little bit you know songs about tractors and farms and just (laughs) summer things in general I was literally waiting for you to say Taylor Swift because you're you're I think one of the biggest Swifties I know personally oh. speaking. 
so the love of my life like the love of my life you've she's been to her concert if i'm not mistaken you went to buffalo for her concert back in like what 20 like whenever it was oh back in like 2009 10 she's a she's an og swifty guys (laughs) insane yeah and then last question we have for question period is what is your favorite class you've taken so far in university and why hmm I had a class in fashion writing, which I really loved. That was in my second year. Um, and we did projects like um, making a fashion magazine was the final cumulative project. Um, we did articles and we just analyzed um, different materials and fashion pieces and wrote about it. I've done a ton of writing courses with my creative writing minor, but honestly, I think fashion writing just kind of combined two things I really love so I think that was definitely one of my faves and are you still like trying to pursue fashion like going to the fashion industry after western or is that on hold um well I'm having a bit of a life crisis right now you know as you do um so I am still considering going into fashion still considering going to study at Humber but I'm also um kind of being drawn back into going to teachers college again which was Initially, the plan when I graduated high school and when I started post-secondary, I kind of fell off of it, but um, I think I'm kind of finding my footing and looking at teaching in Europe even, so that should be a good time, but yeah, I'm not too sure where it's going to go yet. Because when we graduated high school, your plan, I think, was to major in like psychology and French, because you've always loved French. It was French and English, yeah, French when I English. graduated high school. I see you as a teacher and I feel like you're also going to be like blunt with like the students like they know not to like try anything with you. Yeah but I definitely want to be like a chill teacher like Mm -hmm. I definitely want to teach high school um but I'm not sure like yeah I I don't think I don't think they would mess with me either honestly. (laughs) I I can see you as like the woman version of Mr. Haynes. Oh my god I want to be like a Miss Carrie or like a Mademoiselle Marrier you know what I mean oh I see you more as Miss Carrie but I say Mr. Haynes because like you'll give them what they give you like you'll be sarcastic back to them but they'll love you at the end of the day oh absolutely that's the kind of teacher I could only hope to be (laughs) fingers crossed fingers if that's the path you still decide to go down hopefully and then, yeah, that's the end of question period. So now we're going to the main questions. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, we're going to be talking about BPD and eating disorders um, for this episode. So Liv, my first question for you is, in your own personal definition, how do you describe or how do you define BPD and eating disorders? I'm going to get the acronym <laughs> mixed up somehow, somehow that's but... totally okay. Um, BPD, for me personally, has just been... Also, what does it stand for? For people who may not know. So BPD stands for borderline personality disorder. Um, it basically is characterized of, you know, intense emotions, um, frequently changing emotions. It's somewhat reminiscent of bipolar, mm-hmm. um, but it usually is said to be more intense and there is a higher suicide rate. Um, so that's what I've kind of been coping with. Um, and then eating disorders, honestly, the definitions can be skewed. It really depends who you're talking to um, because you can have eating disorders and then you can have eating disorder tendencies, you know, and things can just, I don't know, like some people say if you, if you're obsessed with counting calories, but you still eat normally, you don't have an eating disorder. I don't think that's true. I think that anything that affects the way that you intake food and your perception of yourself because of it can count as an eating disorder. 100%. I think there's a 
there's a fine line between like counting calories like to be fit or whatnot but then there's also a fine line where like you're eating calories and it affects how you eat like if you think oh this has x amount of calories or this has x amount of calories and you feel like you can't eat anything because it'll go over your intake for the day i think that's where you have to be careful and look deeply and say okay is this healthy Oh, exactly. And I remember in being in high school and just counting calories religiously. And I had one of those little my fitness pal apps and you would input what you ate that day and how much exercise you did. And it really does become like an addiction. Like you want to mm-hmm. stay below the limit. You want to keep, you know, decreasing that limit so that you can lose more and more weight. And it's, it's a really slippery slope. It's really dangerous. And then going off of that, when did you first get diagnosed and or slash when did you first know that you had an eating disorder slash BPD? So the eating disorder, body image issues are kind of something I've grown up with my whole life. Um, I remember first being aware of having body image issues in the third grade and which is so sad because I was like nine, maybe mm-hmm so young to be thinking like I'm so fat and to be thinking that your weight is like an important component of who you are because it's such a crucial time for development at that age that you could be focusing on so many more things and your likes and your interests and your hobbies and life is just so innocent and pure at that age that kids shouldn't have to worry about things like their weight you know what I mean exactly I just, yeah, that's when I remember it starting. Um, It got pretty brutal in high school. Like I said, I was restricting. Um, I was very cautious of what I ate, what I wouldn't eat. Um, Eating in front of people became a huge issue. As far as being diagnosed with borderline goes, um, I kind of, looking back on my life, can see points where I reacted or acted in certain ways. And now I look at it and I think, yeah, that was because of my mental illness. That was because of like, I, I haven't always been the best person. And that was because I was mentally ill. It's not an excuse, but it's Mm -hmm. the reason. And, um, I got my diagnosis. I want to say maybe second year, um, between first and second year, maybe of university, which is when they kind of put a title on it and said, this is, this is the recovery plan. This is what you need. And these are the supports available to you. Um, and things have been getting so much better from there, but obviously I do still think of the past and like think of my past relationships and my friendships and the way that I acted in them and things weren't okay back then. And I, I can see that now. I think one major um, thing I'm seeing when I'm talking to people about when they first get diagnosed with a mental disorder is that usually most of them get diagnosed in university. So at the end of their adolescence, going into adulthood, and that also kind of speaks to what's going on in high school about how in high school, they're not really able to identify children with mental disorders. Like they just kind of characterize as like, oh, they're being rebellious or they're being X, Y, Z, and they're not able to really get down to the root of the problem, which I think is very problematic because now they're going into their young adulthood some of them going to college university some of them going straight to the workforce and they don't really have an answer of to what their behavior is it's kind of being labeled as oh I'm being rebellion which I don't think is not every not every young adult or teenager is rebellious and then it's also dangerous to make it seem like oh that's the excuse or something really wrong with you just you don't really get to find the root of why you're of why you're functioning the way you are and everyone needs a solution everyone needs to know what's going on with them so i think that's a major thing that i'm seeing a pattern i'm seeing that's definitely a major thing i can't even tell you how many times 
Um, I was told in high school by doctors or by whoever that um, it's just because you're a teenager. It's just because you're moody, you know, like just go outside more and you'll be okay. And it's so frustrating to, to be that age and to be asking for help and to know you need help. And just nobody sees it that way because you're a teenager. You're so young. People think you don't know what you're talking about. But I do think there's definitely a conversation to be had about listening to our young people because the truth is we do know what's going on with us. Like nobody knows your own self better than you do, right? Exactly. Like I can say from my own personal experience, like I definitely went through like depression, anxiety during high school. I think one, the first time I really identified something was off was after I took like the um, psychology course um, in in high school. I was like, okay, I'm looking at my mental disorders. I'm like, I'm looking at my behavior. And then I'm also kind of a hypochondriac. So I'm like looking at like depression and anxiety. I'm like, some of the way I'm feeling is just like that like what they're talking about I'm feeling like that but I also don't feel like I have the system or the outlet to actually effectively go because another thing people have to understand is that even in high school if you identify it for the most case you will have to go talk to somebody like a psychiatrist and they most likely have to talk to your parents and most people most people come from immigrant like I can say for myself I come from an immigrant background where mental health is not really talked about and stuff like that or it's something you keep within the household so now having to go to your parents and say I have xyz they're gonna look at you saying they're gonna invalidate you basically and say I don't think you do and that causes more issues in the long run definitely definitely and I remember that psychology course as well um and just that was kind of when I could start to identify borderline in myself we learned about it and Mm -hmm. the characteristics of it were just things that I really related to and um we would have like case studies of people with borderline and just mm-hmm. the examples sounded so much like myself um and then to go home and to try to communicate that I needed help and and it's not I don't want to say it's my parents fault and they mm-hmm. didn't listen to me because that's not true and they've come so far on their journey with my mental health as well but I don't think they were fully equipped to handle having a child with borderline Mm -hmm. like I it's not something that's talked about it's not you know brought up in conversation there's no course on you know like there's no they don't ready you for that in parenting Mm -hmm. courses like they couldn't have known you know what I mean um they've definitely come a lot farther um my dad comes from like he's like a first generation Canadian in a family that came from the Philippines like we don't talk about mental health like the Philippines like you just you know you pray Mm -hmm. on it and and that's how it goes it's taken my dad a long time to accept that I needed to get help and that I wasn't functioning the way that I should have been and even my mom too like she was so understanding of it and she tried to get me help um, but I don't think it was until I was maybe in third year university that she was able to openly talk about it and openly ask me what I needed and what she can Mm -hmm. do for me and really fully be there and be present in my illness I and one thing I like that you said that there's not a lot of awareness when it comes to BPD like when you hear people talk about mental health awareness it's very like oh you never know what someone else is going through very um not substantive like very basic um kind of conversations around that and then when you go into more about mental health disorders it's really focused on depression and anxiety I'm not saying like it shouldn't be but there's also other disorders or they they put the focus on the onus on depression and anxiety as the front runners and kind of the more pi- palatable 
disorders, but there's so many more disorders that no one talks about. There's schizophrenia, there's bipolar, there's P PPD, there's eating disorders, and that's only, there's ADHD, that's only five I've listed, and there's so much more that don't get the same awareness. And I think people place, make it seem like those disorders are the quote unquote crazy ones, or, you know, you deal with more when you have people with those disorders and it's not talked about and there's no focus about that. So when people come forward and have bipolar or PPD, um, they don't really know. And the way media has portrayed it hasn't been the best as well. They make it seem like this person's crazy, highs and lows and stuff like that, but it's more than that. Absolutely, definitely, yeah. No, you're so right. Talk to us kind of about your journey dealing with BPD and your eating disorder from when you got diagnosed up until now present day so like about university because you said you got diagnosed between first and second year so how has the journey been um when you first got diagnosed how do you feel um things like that well like i said i kind of suspected it was the case um so i wasn't overly surprised it kind of went like me telling my psychiatrist this is what i think i have and him just asking me questions then eventually coming to the conclusion that i was right that was what i had um, it wasn't, it wasn't devastating to learn that I had it. It's more devastating to learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, um, I'm doing well with it though. So, um, initially I've always been the kind of person who clings to relationships. Um, I'll go to extreme measures to not feel alone. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was kind of the problem with the relationship that I was in during first year um, and even second year, honestly. And I clung to it and it was everything. It was my identity. It was who I was. So when that ended, um, I didn't really, I didn't know how to cope. I couldn't cope with it. Um, I ended up in the Victoria Hospital psychiatric unit um, for about two weeks um, last summer. And that was one of the places that I really, it was so conducive to my healing. Like I had time to reflect and realize what was healthy, what was not healthy. Um, I also, the thing about borderline is you get so depressed and so anxious and then so manic and it's, it's just dangerous. Um, so I ended up failing a class in second year. So I was dealing with that as well. And it just kind of like everything piled up and I ended up in the psych ward essentially. But after that, I got out. Um, I've kind of been, you know, putting to use those strategies I learned while I was there. I've been going to therapy, um, seeing my psychiatrist. They usually, when you have borderline, they'll put you on antipsychotics, um, which have really helped me like a lot. I don't really like to tell people that because I feel like people hear you're on antipsychotics and they're like, well, you're crazy. But um, <laughs> I just, I don't know. They, they've helped me so much. Um, I feel like I'm eating regularly now. I'm exercising. I'm more focused on being healthy in my life than being perfect the way that I always felt like I should have been, that's if good. that makes sense. And that's good to hear. I don't even say the word recovery. It's good to hear your journey on it and it's an ongoing journey like just because Olivia's talking about like um how she is now doesn't mean like it's good this is the end all stuff like that she'll still continue to deal with it I have her highs and lows but it's good to hear that you're in a good place currently with um BPD and your eating disorder I am yeah and I feel like a big component of BPD is relationships mm -hmm. um and the way you act in them the way you attach yourself to them like your attachment style and I feel like 
as opposed to that relationship that I was in, or actually I was in two relationships in high school where I suffered um, severely or like two and a half, one was kind of short, but um, where I was really severely suffering with BPD. And now I'm in a relationship that's so much healthier and so pure and just good for me. And it's, it's really one of the things where I can compare then and now and say to myself, like, look how far I've come. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm so much better off now in relationships and my relationship with myself even too is so much better now than it was before. And it's a process. Like I said, it's a process and a journey. Um, having a mental health disorder, it's not something that gets fixed overnight and something you continuously have to work at to get to a place where you feel stable and good overall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I also want to ask you a little bit about being in a psych ward, if you're comfortable talking about that, because I think people have this perception of how movies make it seem and how, you know, it is. So if you're comfortable, how, what's the experience being in a psych ward and what's um, something people should know when talking about people in um, psychiatric wards? Yeah, so I actually, so funny, just had this conversation with a friend like yesterday, but um, it's definitely an experience. Um, I think sometimes the media portrays it very poorly. Um, like, like people talking to air and just like, it's, it's not like that. Um, it definitely can be. There's the odd person that kind of is pretty out of it, but mm -hmm. for the most part, um, I would tell people to watch. Um, it's kind of a funny story. Um, it came out like a few years ago, but I remember watching it after I got out of the psych ward to kind of compare what it was like and what the movie was like. And it actually was kind of accurate to my experience. Like I made a lot of really great friends there. I was in the adult unit. So I ended up making friends that were my age, making friends that were, you know, a little bit younger than me, like 18, 19. Um, I made friends who were in their forties and fifties and just in, instilled all this life advice in me. And I'm still friends with them. Like to this day, like I've got them on Facebook. We talk about our mental health all the time. We keep each other accountable for our healing and our mental health. Um, but the actual experience inside the ward was kind of, it was draining, but it was also rejuvenating in a way. I just remember spending all my days coloring, just coloring, like they would print out like, like really intricate pictures and mm -hmm. we would color them. And just, that was the only thing to do really. And you would just sit around with your friends and color these freaking pictures. And then they would bring food at certain times. We would have snacks at the floor. We would have, you know, meditation activities we could all do together. A lot of the time, um, the unit was a, just a big square. Um, and we would just walk laps around the square to get our exercise. Um, but yeah, honestly, I made great relationships there. Um, people who were definitely conducive to my healing at that point that I was in in my life. And I'm, I'm grateful for the experience I got to have there. One consistent thing that you keep bringing up is relationships. And I think not even regardless if you have a mental health disorder or not, community and relationships are very important. And if you're not surrounded by good people who are there to provide for you, who are able to help you and you um, in a good way, then it does affect you. And especially if you have a mental health disorder, you will need people in your circle that are there for you, that are able to support you through the good days and bad, and actually are there for your journey and there to support your journey. Because there are a lot of times when, like you said, for your experience, you've been in relationships and sometimes it can be draining and it does more harm than good. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think that circles back to what we were discussing about being, you know, in the situation when your family or your culture does not believe in mental health, mm-hmm. does not acknowledge it. It's definitely, you're much worse off in that environment. And that's why I am grateful for the experience I got in the psychiatric unit because I was finally in this place where all I had to worry about was feeling what I felt and I didn't have to apologize for it and I didn't have to have people, you know, put their lives on hold to help me deal with it. I was there to just, if I was sad, it was okay that I was sad and I was safe there. And if I was angry, it was okay that I was angry because all that I was there to do was feel what I felt and work through it. So it's essentially a safe space, which is very important for your healing process. Yeah, definitely. We've talked kind of about your journey, but on a day-to-day level, how does having BPD and an eating disorder affect your day-to-day life? So day-to-day, I want to say it is a struggle. It's like, I try to do the best I can. You know, I try to eat healthy. I try to work out. I go to work. I do my schoolwork. I see my friends. But that is not to say that I don't suffer through mm-hmm. all of um, It's definitely a life-altering illness. I get stuck in my own head all the time. And I think this isn't how normal people feel or react. Um, it's life-altering, but you learn to cope with it. And that's just something I'm working on every day. Um, but that is to say that like, I've definitely gotten better with my daily habits. Um, Routine definitely helps. Having a little routine going helps. And um, the hardest thing I think is the lack of motivation, which I'm sure a lot of people can identify with, Mm -hmm. but um, sometimes the depression just gets so bad. I don't get out of bed. I don't eat. I don't see anyone. I don't speak to anyone. Um, But I'm definitely just trying to push myself to get better, do better, and be the best that I can. I think it's normal to go through those. Well, me specifically, I think it's normal to go through those those times where you just don't want to interact with people. I think especially if you have depression or if you have anxiety or you have VPD or you have like that type of um, mental health disorder, it's very easy to be in those, if I can call them episodes, where you just don't want to interact with people, where you just... And that's where the importance of community and support come in because those days you'll need someone to be there by your side. And I think people, I think media kind of, I don't say romantic. Yeah, they romanticize mental health illness and they say, oh, like, you know, checking on people, this, this, this that. But like, when you say checking on people, don't think, oh, I'm going to say, oh, checking and saying, how is she? And she says she's good. And everything's all hunky dory. Like, there's more to it than just text sending a text message. Like, that's the beginning. There's more that needs to be done. Like, you need to understand that this person may not be as active or there's going to be periods of time where you may not be able to reach them and you have to be able to have grace with them because they're dealing with something that you don't deal with and you may not fully understand. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of activism around it too is so performative. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's balanced with day. Let's all post about, you know, checking in on the people we love, but let's not actually do it. It's just trendy to Mm -hmm. speak out about it because it's Bell Let's Talk Day. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I think that's so toxic to just like, to so many people's healing, like just say you don't care. Just say you don't care and don't pretend. You know what I mean? Exactly. A lot of things these days are performative and mental health is not something that's performative. It's something that someone deals with day in and day out. And everyone has 
there are days where they're dealing with mental health but if you have a mental health disorder you don't really get an escape like you are dealing with this for the rest of your life and it's, like I said you have to have grace about it and it's more there needs to be more awareness and there needs to be more action towards it. like like I said like it's not just about saying a text message like it's very performative and sometimes sometimes as a person uh, having someone with a mental health disorder sometimes you just have to look at them and then just like send them as quick as I'm being there for them and sometimes you just have to let them be because you also don't want to suffocate them and you don't want them to run or you don't want them to walk away from their relationship so there has to be balance definitely balance I think one of the most important things you can do is make it known that you're there for whoever you know is struggling um and then if they want to come to you they will in my experience that's the best thing you know you can't force someone to talk about it and being too distant is never a good thing I think just the knowledge that people were there for me has helped me more than anything and they also like maybe seeing posts like for instance if someone's ranting about how they're feeling kind of thing um just like maybe like the post and then just have an acknowledgement saying I'm here for you and stuff like that but don't do I feel like maybe I'm just saying it from the outside looking in but maybe not do it all the time only because Sometimes they just want to rant. Like I feel like with social media, people sometimes just want to rant and get how they feel out. And it's not always they're looking for a reaction. They're not always looking for someone to check in. Sometimes they just want to express how they feel and they don't want to just have it left in their head. Oh, exactly. Like you followed my Finsta. You know my Finsta. It's like a diary. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's really and truly, this is the digital age and we're the generation that shares everything. Um, I would never expect people like to reach out every time I post just like a feeling dump on my mm-hmm. Finsta. Like, I just, I know the people who follow it are there for me. They're my best friends. Like if you follow my Finsta, I trust you with everything in the world. Um, and I like, that's all I need to know. That's mm-hmm. all I need to know. Like so with our relationship, like I'll see sometimes you post and sometimes I'm like, I'm so concerned. I hope she's doing okay. But sometimes I have to understand, like, you know, she's posting it just to get her feelings out there. So sometimes I look at it and I just reflect, I'm like, okay, I hope she's doing well. And then here and then I'll check in. But I think it's important to know boundaries and to know balance because it's not all the time they want you to reach out. Sometimes they're just like, I need to get what I'm feeling in my head outside. And it's want to dump. They just want to like talk about it. As long as you um, make it known, and from both parties just know that okay this person's going through it I'm here for them and I want them to feel what they feel but also know when to reach out because there are important um, instances where you need to make sure you're reaching out to the person before anything tragic happens definitely what is stereotype for both BPD and an eating disorder that you've heard of that you want to debunk Um, I haven't really heard any stereotypes about BPD. It's not widely spoken about. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of guys I've talked to before I met my boyfriend have just, you know, like, oh, I attract girls with BPD. Like I've dated girls with BPD before. I know how it is. Like, don't even worry about it. But I feel like it's different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not cool to say like, I think they're trying to flirt, like, oh, yo, I got you. But like you said, it's different and it varies for every person. And obviously yeah. the way they're saying it is kind of like sleazy and kind of like I'm trying to flirt with you. There's a difference between, oh, yeah, like, you know, I've dealt, I've um, interacted with people with BPD. So like if you're over here, I need you not saying it like, oh, like, you know, I can take you like your challenge. Like I can got you like that's not 
what you say to someone with the mental health service. It's, it's like someone with cancer. Like, you're not going to say, oh, like, I know people with cancer. I can deal with that. Da, da, da. Like, you don't, yeah. like, it's about the whole romanticizing of mental health disorders and taking it, like, as a joke or stuff like that. I think the only people who are allowed to joke about mental health disorders are people who have gone through it. Like, if you're on TikTok, you know how people, like, make jokes. And I feel like that's another coping mechanism for people with mental health disorders is to use dark humor. But dark humor should only be used of that community like if you're not part of that community I think you have to be very careful of how you talk about it definitely no you're so right um there's a poem I like called rape poem um by Rihanna McGavin and the the final line is um something about my bruises are mine to poke at and yours to keep away from and I think that just speaks volumes especially when it comes to topics like these like I can joke I can joke about how I've tried to kill myself, but you can't tell me to kill myself. You know exactly. what I mean? Like there are lines, but I definitely like tell, I've told guys before I've even bothered like dealing with them to like research it, like research it. Let me know how you feel after that, because it's not an easy thing to deal with. Like I try to deal with it every day and obviously I'm not perfect. There are gonna be some things that slip through the cracks that you're gonna have to deal with if we're in a relationship. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's not to say that I'm not accountable for it but that's to say that when you're in a relationship, you're one mm -hmm. and you have to understand where the person's coming from, why they do the things that they do. Um, and I think I've been in relationship, relationships with guys who were pretty good for that. And I've been in relationships with guys who were not very good for that. Um, and that's not to say anything about their character. It's just that not everyone is made to handle it. Mm -hmm. um, but that is definitely how I go about dealing with people with misinformation about BPD. Um, just do your research, you know, you'll find everything, not everything you need to know online, but it, it paints a pretty good picture of it. Um, and then in terms of eating disorders, I think a myth um, that I want to touch on is that you don't have to look like you have an eating disorder to have an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, the, just circling back to what I said at the beginning, um, anything that alters your perception of yourself, your perception of food, um, it, it can be considered disordered eating. Like you may not think, like you may think, oh, like I'm just trying to keep my calories below this certain limit, but I'll do anything to do that. That could be disordered eating, especially if the certain limit that you've projected for yourself is not feasible. Like I remember counting calories in high school thinking, oh, my eating disorder is not back. It's fine, it's fine. Meanwhile, my calorie limit was 1200 a day, which is not normal. Mm -hmm. um, Especially as a teenager. Yeah, or a teenager, someone who's still growing, um, someone who is like five, six, five, seven, like you shouldn't be eating 1200 calories a day. You should have a lot more than that. Um, but because I, you know, that was just my life. I was like, this is fine. Like, this is just, this is just dieting. Like it, it's nothing, but dieting is a very slippery slope, especially when you have a history of disordered eating. One thing, whenever you talk about, like, when you're counting calories, the thing that comes to my mind is that episode of Lizzie McGuire, where um, Miranda, she was dealing with that, like, she was talking about ink, like, she was talking about constricting her calories and stuff like that, and she ended up fainting, and she was, you know, they talked about it. I feel like in media, especially TV shows, they kind of gloss over, like, they'll have an episode where they have someone with an eating disorder, and then the next episode, they're all fine, like, it doesn't, it, it 
they pretend like it doesn't exist. And I don't think that's a fair image to portray of mental health disorder, especially something like eating disorder, because it's something that you deal with day in and day out. And you'll have your good days where, you know, life is good, but you'll have your down days. And I think that also needs to be addressed. And also there needs to be more grace given with the media, especially about this topic. Definitely. Next question is, you kind of touched about it, but how have you been able to educate those around you? Talked kind of about like your parents and the guys you um, interacted with, but more in detail, how have you been able to educate those around you about BPD and eating disorders? Um, and when I mean I educate, I think I'm not trying to say like, oh, you set them down and like stuff like that. But like, how have you been able to like, let the people around you know, like, this is what I'm dealing with. These are kind of what goes on with me. And I think this is how you should know. And how have you been able to um, increase their knowledge about BPD and, and eating disorders? It's definitely not easy to like educate people on such a complex disorder. Um, I think the most educating I've done is indirectly educating people I've dated or been in relationships with, mm -hmm. um, when they would see the symptoms of it and have to understand that was what it was. Um, I've been in a lot of relationships that weren't normal, um, weren't healthy and, I feel like all that I can take away from that and the other person as well is that we both learned something about mental health, if that makes sense. Um, like they know what to look for. I know what to look for in myself. Um, I think my parents definitely know what to look for in my family. Um, but then again, like I said, I'm from a Filipino family. So if you're not eating five plates of dinner, they automatically think you have an eating disorder um, but that's more of a cultural thing than anything I think I've hopefully made it easier for others to speak out and I feel like that's the best kind of education we can have um, but I've been told by so many people like you sharing your story and your story of going to the psych ward and your story of having borderline and being diagnosed and being in these unhealthy relationships has helped me to open up about my story you know what I mean exactly. and I feel like the best education we can have is word of mouth from people who suffer this in real time and not just like some doctor telling you these are the signs to look for not just googling like am I depressed but like having your own story and sharing it with the world and making it more of a readily available conversation I feel like is one of the best um things that we can do and one of the best ways that I've been able to educate people even indirectly that's amazing um sadly with you focus when you talk about mental health disorders people usually look at the downside of it what has been kind of the light at the end of the tunnel um when dealing with your mental health disorders if there uh, is a light because I know that's kind of an interesting and intriguing question because it's kind of hard, sometimes hard to see the light but what has been something good that's came out of um having BPD and an eating disorder, if there's anything good that has come out of it? Um, it's definitely hard to say because it has been so challenging. So I don't want to say like these great things came out of it because I definitely like wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Mm -hmm. um, if anything, it, it sounds so cheesy, 
and so cliche, but it's made me such a stronger person. And I'm not a fan of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because it's very toxic you, and problematic. Yeah, what doesn't kill you still tried to kill you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, it was like me doing it to myself. But I feel like now that I'm older and I've learned so much about myself, about my brain and the way it works and just everything, I've learned coping mechanisms. I've learned, I've learned that I'm good at writing. Like I would write out my feelings and just write it into poems. And now I have two published books, you know? And I feel like that's something really great that I learned about myself. I learned that I want to be in a healthy relationship someday. I've seen the warning signs from it. I've, I've learned what kind of relationship I want to be in. Um, like I said, it's made my relationship with my family so much better. Um, I know my brother feels more comfortable talking about his mental health after everything I've been through, um, my dad is finally able to admit that some things are hard on, you know, people's mental health, Mm -hmm. um, which is not a topic he would have readily talked about, like even six months ago. Um, it's made my relationship with my mom a lot better. She's able to open up with me more. Um, and I've actually met a lot of really good friends too, who are kind of not the same illnesses, but more or less in the same boat as I am in the sense that they're dealing with their own mental health issues you know like we tell each other about our therapy appointments like we talk about medications we're we're there for each other and I think it's so good to have that kind of support circle who knows firsthand kind of what you're going through um just because they'll understand it more and they'll be able to be there for you in ways that you know some people might not be so I feel like overall there were good things about dealing with what I've dealt with Um, it's definitely ruined a lot of things for me, ruined a lot of relationships that I'll never be able to get back Mm -hmm. um, and stolen years from my life. But in the end, I, there are ways to definitely see it as a positive experience. I'm happy that you're, you were able to talk about something good that came out of it because it's sometimes hard to identify the light at the end of the tunnel when you've been in the tunnel for so long. Yeah. I've actually never had to think about it in that way. So that was actually a really interesting question. Another question I have is as someone who doesn't have doesn't have BPD and eating disorder and for other people who are listening who don't who may not have it, what is one thing or two things that they should know um, when interacting and just educating themselves about PP, BPD and eating disorders? Um, for BPD, I would say definitely the wide range of emotions that someone can feel. Um, in the sense that it's paralyzing. Like when I, before I was medicated, before I was in therapy, I would get in arguments or fights with people. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm sad about it. Oh, I'm angry about it. It's like, oh, I'm sad about it. And my whole body is shutting down or like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm angry about it. And like everything in me is on fire. Like there's no middle ground ever. Everything is very black and white. And it's just something to keep in mind um, because it can get very toxic to deal with, but you have to know that this person is trying the best that they can with what they have right now, that this is their illness talking, um, and that there's only so much you can do as well about it, because I don't, I don't, I think it's important to tell young people, especially when dealing with this, is that it's not your responsibility to heal somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a lot of relationships in my life where people, would do things for me, do nice things for me, be there for me, and then and then turn around and ask me why I wasn't cured, why I wasn't happy. Um, but the truth is that you can't cure somebody, especially if something like this, it's not your responsibility. 
Um, and if you do have this illness or suspect you have it, it is your responsibility to, to get yourself on track to getting better. Mm -hmm. And obviously a support system is very important, but the support system can't do more than what you want to do. It's kind of like addiction when they say, oh, someone who wants to get better can't get better unless they're doing it to themselves. And that's the same thing. Like you can only do so much and that's where boundaries comes into place because when you do something for someone, you should do it out of the goodness of your heart. So you can't be doing it for somebody, especially someone who's suffering from a mental health disorder, and then I'll turn back saying, why, why aren't you appreciative? Stuff like that. Because there's the way they interpret it and the way they will understand is completely different. And they may not react the same way you want them to react. And that's what I'm saying. You need to have grace when dealing with, you need to have grace when dealing with people as a whole, but especially when someone with a mental health disorder, we have to look outside like, okay, I did the best I could for them and I hope they can appreciate it and I hope they're well. Like you have to have that mindset because otherwise you will have this um, underlying resentment towards this person that is not really warranted and not really needed. Absolutely. I feel like it's just important that everyone does the best they can in the situation that they're in. Exactly. And if that means walking away from something, if that means setting a boundary, if that means taking time to yourself, I feel like we should normalize that as a society. Mm -hmm. Another question I had was like about medication, because I, from what I've heard, or some, some of the things I've heard, there's a stigma about medication when dealing with mental health disorders. So what has been your experience taking medication? How has it helped? And what are some of the things that people should know? Medication in of itself has saved my life. Um, I would not be as stable as I am without, I'm on um, an antidepressant in the morning and an antipsychotic at night. Um, but it's just, it's been, it's been fine for me. I know when I started going on it, the hardest thing for me was the weight gain. Um, and I didn't even gain that much weight. Um, I was still healthy but it can definitely make you gain weight. Um, if you talk to your doctor about it though, if that's a concern you have talking to your doctor, they can help you find ones that will kind of mitigate weight gain. Um, like I know it was a problem for me when I started antipsychotics um, and my psychiatrist had to find one for me. It was a newer class, it's called lorazodone. Um, and it's a newer antipsychotic, so they didn't know that much about the weight gain. Luckily, I didn't gain anything on it. Like the knowledge they had at the time said that there was no recorded weight gain. Um, so that seemed like the best option to put me on, especially when I was dealing with eating disorders too, because you don't want to trigger anything else in the mm -hmm. process of better, right? Um, but I know that is a big misconception for a lot of people. And it's true. Some medications do make you gain weight. I won't discredit that at all. Um, but just in my personal experience, I've been pretty okay with it. Um, there definitely is a stigma around medication, but I feel like our generation is the generation that's going to kind of reverse that stigma because it is so common now, like so many people are on medication, whether it's as needed or prescribed daily, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, some people can function without it and that's great. And some people need the little extra push and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's fair to to say like one person's more deserving of a better life than someone else's. Like we should all have the same shot of being happy, even if it takes a little bit extra for some people. Exactly. Do you have any like final last words about BPD and eating disorder awareness that you wanna tell the people? I would just say, you know, educate yourself um, because you never know who could be dealing with it. Um, 
obviously in a non-performative way, look out for your friends, look out for your family, um, just be there and readily available to talk to someone as long as it's not harming your own health mentally. Um, and just be nice to each other because you never know what somebody's going through. Mm-hmm. And the last question to end off this episode is, what is one thing that is not talked about in mainstream media that you want to bring awareness to? And that doesn't have to be specifically mental health awareness, but that could be one if you choose to. So anything that you feel like in terms of social justice that's not being talked about that you want to bring awareness to? Um, I'm not really sure. I don't really keep up with what's covered in the media and what's not, which sounds mm-hmm. so bad, but I just like, it's so bad for me to just focus on the bad things going mm-hmm. on in the world. Um, since we're on the topic of mental health, I would say let's bring awareness to the way the media romanticizes it and understanding that that's not how it is. It's not all aesthetically pleasing and 13 reasons why and romanticizing it in a Netflix show. And, you know, it's not like kissing scars and holding someone while they're crying. It's not like that. It's a lot of crying alone. It's a lot of it's a lot of ugliness and just loneliness and just terror. And I feel like we do need to talk about that more as a society because it makes it easier when someone says that they're struggling with mental health for the world to just brush it off and say, well, it's fine because this is how the media depicts it and you'll get through it and you'll be okay because that's not always the case. Um, Sometimes I go through things that I feel are too much for me to handle and it's not good for me when people are saying well just take a deep breath and get over it you know like Mm -hmm. you need to accept that mental health can be this ugly terrifying thing and we just need to be there for each other and help each other the best we can through it exactly be there for people but obviously know your boundaries and just extend grace to everybody because again you don't know what someone's going through and just because they're not reacting in the same way you would doesn't mean that you need to you know be dismissive of them like make sure you're also validating other people's experiences too because it's very easy to inv- invalidate someone else's experience especially when you're talking about mental health exactly and validating someone's experience can be just as easy as saying i hear you i understand where you're coming from i'm sorry you feel that way like you know what i mean exactly you don't have to totally understand it but you have to understand that that's how they feel and accept that for them exactly well ladies and gentlemen that has been this week's episode time flew by well long time flew by well well i don't know if that's a correct grammatical sentence but we're just gonna go with it <laughs> i'm an english major and i don't even know if it's correct honestly we're just gonna go with it guys if it's not just you know leave a comment below but thank you so much Liv, for taking thank the you time for, having me. for talking about fun. this i will of leave her, i'll leave her socials down below and and also the links to her two books because she is an author and bills that's need to be so paid cute. so if you're feeling very generous <laughs> buy a copy and help us a girl out oh my god help us artists out we are struggling through this pandemic exactly so don't be afraid but thanks so much Liv for being a guest on this week's episode thank you for having me and yeah I just want to say with my socials link down below if anyone has questions or comments about this or anything just feel free to reach out because I'm very open and like ready to talk with anyone about it